It's Sunday morning, and we are still in a study on the Christ Mass. The reason for that, you never get out of it when you study the Bible. All of the evil in the Bible is about Christmas. Christmas is Christ Mass. Christ Mass. The Mass of Roman Catholicism is eating human flesh. It's cannibalism. The Roman Catholics took the verse out of John 6, starting in around verse 50 through 53 or 54, where Jesus said, Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, I've told you that many times before. I've got a reason for telling you that again. And then he explained what that meant. It was an old Jewish idiom. You find it in the 39th chapter of Ezekiel when the Bible speaks of the prophecy of the end of time where God says, I'm going to have kill all these people that are unbelievers in the world and there'll be hundreds of millions of them and all these believers, there's not going to be a way to bury them. So I'm going to call the fowls of the air to come and the beast of the field to come to eat flesh and drink blood. It meant to be a partaker in a slaughter. And when we partake in the slaughter, you find those same words in the 19th chapter of Revelation where the Lord's coming back on a great white horse with eyes of flame of fire, and he's going to destroy the man of sin or the, the false prophet and the beast, He's going to cast them into the lake of fire and he's going to say to the birds of the air, come and eat flesh and drink blood. That was an idiom. Jesus explains the idiom. The idiom, he says, my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. When you define the word indeed, it will tell you what eat flesh and drink blood means. Indeed is the word alathes, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. Alathes is a word that means of truth. Of truth. And it is a form of A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Alathea is the word truth. And truth is a construction. I've said this so many times. If you don't take the cover off, you're not telling truth. It's a construction of lanthano. Lanthano means to, to conceal or lie hid. And when you place the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet in front of a word, it negates the word. Negate means to give an opposite meaning. So alanthano translates aletheia, which is the word truth, and it means not to hide anything. You got to take the cover off. That's the word truth. It has the basic same meaning as reveal or revelation. Reveal is the word apo. K-A-L-U-P-T-O, apocalypto. Apo is a prefix you find on many words. It means off with, 
or removal of Calypso. And Calypso is the word cover. It means to remove the cover. That's revelation. Revelation is apocalypsis, just a form of reveal, apo, K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. We call that apocalypse. When they come up and talk about the apocalypse in movies or in, they talk about like something hazy. Revelation is not hazy if you know what the things mean. I taught on a couple of the chapters Wednesday night. People said definition is everything, isn't it? When you know what those words mean in Revelation, it's not what these so-called prophecy teachers are teaching. The reason I explain that on Christmas one more time, I've got to read you a little comical thing. It's called the Roman Miracle, and I think it's funny, and I'm going to read it to you. The Roman Miracle. A pretty maid, a Protestant, was to a Catholic wed to love all Bible truths and tales. Quite early she's been bred. It surely grieved her husband's heart that she would not comply and join the mother church of Rome and heretics deny. So day by day he flattered her, but still she saw no good, would ever come from bowing down to idols made of wood. The mass, the host, the miracles were made, but to deceive and transubstantiation, that's what they call that when that turns into the so-called body and blood of Christ. But transubstantiation, too, should never dare believe. He went to see his clergyman and told him his sad tale. My wife is an unbeliever, sir. You could perhaps prevail. For all your Romish miracles, my wife has strong aversion to really work a miracle may lead to her conversion. The priest went with the gentleman. He thought to gain a prize. He said, I will convert her, sir, and open both her eyes. So when they came into the house, the husband loudly cried, The priest has come to dine with us. He's welcome, she replied. And when at last the meal was o'er, the priest at once began to teach his hostess all of the sinful state of man, the greatness of our Savior's love, which Christians can't deny, to give himself a sacrifice for our sins to die. I will return tomorrow, lass, prepare some bread and wine. The sacramental miracle will stop your soul's decline. I'll bake the bread, the lady said. You may, he did reply. And when you've seen this miracle, convinced you'll, you'll be, say, I. The priest did come accordingly, the bread and wine did bless. The lady asked, sir, is it changed? Is it changed into the body of Christ? What is that? The priest answered, yes. It's changed from common bread and wine to truly flesh and blood. Begor, alas, this power of mine has changed it into God. So having blessed the bread and wine, 
to eat they did prepare the lady said unto the priest I warn you to take care for a half ounce of arsenic was mixed right in the batter but since you have its nature chained it really doesn't matter <laughs> the priest the priest was struck real dumb he looked as pale as death the bread and wine fell from his hands and he did gasp for breath bring me my horse the priest replied this is a cursed home the lady replied be gone tis you who shares the curse of rome the husband too he sat surprised and not a word did say at length he spoke my dear said he the priest has run away to gulp such mummery and tripe i'm sure i'm not for sure quite able i'll go with you and we'll renounce this roman catholic fable that's good isn't it we've got i've got so many things i'd like to read to you i got one other thing that i'd like to read to you i've read it every year I hadn't read it this year it's about santa claus and if you like one of these i made a bunch of copies this is is there a santa claus and it was researched by a scientist and i just want to tell you what he had to say as a result of the overwhelming lack of request with the research help from the renowned scientific journal spy magazine january 1990 i am pleased to present the annual scientific inquiry into santa claus number one no known species of reindeer can fly but there are 300,000 species of living organisms yet to be classified and while most of these are insects and germs this does not completely rule out flying reindeer which only Santa has ever seen there are two billion children persons under eight in the world but since Santa Claus doesn't appear to handle the Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, and Buddhist children, that reduces the world workload to 15% of a total of 378 million. Of course, it's up to 700 million now. 700 uh, million now. Billion, excuse me. To Population Reference Bureau at the average census rate of 3.5 children per household that's 91.8 million homes one presumes there's at least one good child in each santa has 31 hours of christmas to work with thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth assuming he travels east to west which seems logical since the sun goes from east to west this works out to 822.6 visits per second. <laughs> this is to say that for each Christian household with good children, Santa has one one-thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree eat whatever snacks has been left get back in the chimney get back in the sleigh and move to the next house 
That's one one thousandth of a second. He's got. <laughs> Assuming that each of these ninety one point eight million stops, and that's a very conservative number, are evenly distributed around the Earth, which of course we know to be false, but for the purpose of cal- calculations, we'll accept. We now are talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75 and a half million miles in one night. Not counting stops to do what most of us do at least once every 31 hours, plus feeding and etc. This means that Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second. <laughs> 3,000 times the speed of sound For purposes of comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle on Earth, Ulysses Space Probe, moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. A conventional reindeer can run tops 15 miles per hour. 15 miles per hour. The payload of the sleigh adds another interesting element. We're talking about real conservative numbers here. Assuming that each child gets nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, two pounds, like the sleigh is carrying 321,300 tons, (laughs) not counting Santa, who is invariably described as overweight. On land, conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds, even granting that the flying reindeer could pull 10 times the normal amount, we cannot do the job with eight or even nine. (laughs) We need 214,200 reindeer. Thus increases the payload, not even counting the weight of the sleigh to 350,430 tons. Again, for comparison, this is four times the weight of the Queen Elizabeth. (laughs) the ship. 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second second, creates enormous air resistance. This will heat the reindeer. (laughs) We'll heat the reindeer up in the the same fashion as spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. The, The lead pair of reindeer will absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second. Each, in short, they will will burst into flames almost instantaneously. The front reindeer will burst into flames. Exposing the reindeer behind them and create deafening sonic booms in in their wake. The entire reindeer team will be vapor <laughs> will be vaporized within four point two six thousandths of a second. Santa, meanwhile, will be subjected to centrifugal forces seventeen thousand five hundred point oh six times greater than gravity. A two hundred fifty pound Santa, which seems ludicrously slim, would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by by four million three hundred fifteen thousand and fifteen pounds of force. <laughs> That's how ridiculous. That's the Santa Claus thing. If you want a copy of it, I got a bunch up here.
fact, I'll put them out here and you can. I don't know if I have enough. You set them right there. All right. All right. I want to show you just how ludicrous and how ridiculous Christmas is. Especially Santa Claus. Santa Claus is St. Nicholas. He was a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop. He gave gifts to children and some of the historians believe that he was a pedophile. All right. I've got other things I want to read to you. I'm trying to document a lot of these things. We've been talking about Christmas. Christmas is everything that's evil in the Old Testament. God had a lineage of people. And they came from Adam. Adam, let me raise this up here. And he had his line of people. Started with Adam. If you're in Genesis, the fifth chapter, this is the blessed family of God. Blessed family. Started with Adam. God had a son called his name Adam. If you look at Genesis, the fourth chapter, you see the descendants of Cain. Cain does not trace back to God. The Bible doesn't say God had a son and called his name Cain. It doesn't say that. Among the Jews, it was their custom for their surviving son to raise up when his brother died, his older brother died. The surviving son had to raise up the firstborn son in memory of his brother, and that would be his brother's lineage. That's why Genesis 3.25 says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare a son and called his name Seth in the place of Abel, whom Cain slew. So Seth means substitute. Seth was a substitute for Abel, the second born. The second born receives blessing. Then when you get into Genesis, you don't get back to God with Cain's lineage. You go to you go to Genesis the fifth chapter, this is the lineage of Israel. And Adam has a son and calls his name uh, Seth. Seth has a son and called his name Enosh. Enosh has a son and called his name Canaan. Canaan has a son. He is Mahalaleel. And Mahalaleel has a son and calls his name Jared. Jared. Jared has a son called his name Enoch. Enoch was the longest living man in the Bible. He lived 969 years. And you can find that in the fifth chapter of Genesis. Enoch has a son and called his name Methuselah. That's the oldest well, I, I put that under the wrong place. Methuselah, 969 years. Enoch uh, didn't die. He was, God loved him, and he walked with God, and God took him and translated him into a new body. Methuselah had a son and called his name Lamech. Lamech has a son and called his name Noah. Noah has three sons, Shem, Ham, 
and Japheth. The reason I put Shem in the middle there is because he was the second born, and the lineage continues with him. He's got a son. His name is Arphaxed. And Arphaxed has a son named Salah. Salah. And Salah has a son named Peleg. Peleg has a son named Eber. Eber has a son named Serug. Serug has a son named Nahor. Nahor. Nahor has a son, and his name is Terah. And Terah has a son named Abram, and later on his name is changed to Abraham. And Abraham has a son. His name is Isaac. This all comes about in Genesis. Abraham is born in Genesis the eleventh chapter. He comes out of he comes out of Ur of the Chaldees, and God says, "Go to a land that I will show you." And Abraham picked up and where where God was telling him to go, and he went. Abraham, when you look up where Abraham's lineage was, Abraham's lineage comes from. This would be good enough here. Abraham, when you look at Shem's lineage, Shem's lineage in the... Uh, Shem, where am I? He's down here. When you look at Shem's lineage, you look at Japheth's lineage, you see their lineage in Genesis, the 10th chapter. Genesis 10th chapter is called Table of nations that is where these sons migrated to and Ham migrated down here into they landed on the mountain of Ararat Ararat was in eastern Turkey Turkey is one of the most prominent biblical countries in the ancient world on the western end of Turkey, you had Asia or Asia Minor, and you had the seven churches of Asia there. You had more than the seven churches. You had uh, dozens of churches there. And then when they landed, they landed on the mountains of Ararat, which is in eastern Turkey. Well, Ham's descendants in Genesis 10 descended down here to Egypt down to Ethiopia, all of this, and the land of Put, P-U-T. And then Japheth's lineage, they ascended up here into what we call Georgia, or it was Assyria. The Assyrians are Japheth's lineage, and they're Caucasians. And then Shem's, Shem went down here and came down here to what we call Iraq, but it's actually Babylon. So God had to call Abraham, who's one of the descendants. He he is one of the descendants of Shem, and Shem's descendants are down here in Haran. That's why God says, "Get thee up out of thy land, to a land that I will show thee." And He leads him about six hundred miles away to what we now call Israel. It was called Canaan back then. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the 
Hittites and all of these live there. So this is God's lineage. These are the ones, I believe, that received the promise of God. These are all righteous men. Even with their sin, they're righteous. So God tells Israel, they end up, Jacob ends up, there's Abraham, Ab Abram, Abram, his name was changed to Abraham in Genesis, Genesis, the 17th chapter. Abraham, I've said this before, Ab means father. Ab means father, and Abram means proud father. Abraham means father of many nations. God says that's what your name will be changed to. And he gives Abraham the land and he says, all you have to do is obey me and I will fill up your storehouses. I'll fill up your, you'll beat your enemies. And that was passed to Isaac and to Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that 32nd chapter of Genesis. After he would spend at least 20 years over in the land of Haran, and uh, he was fleeing the wrath of his brother uh, Esau because he stole his birthright, and even that was the will of God. Then Jacob has 12 children, starting with Reuben, and then Levi, and then, uh, then Levi, and then uh, Simeon, not Levi, Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah and Gad, and Asher, and Naphtali, and he goes all the way down to his 12th son, his 12th son, Benjamin, and his 11th son is Joseph, and he's, this is God's nation, and they end up selling Joseph over into Egypt, put Egypt over here, Egypt, and after so long in Egypt, Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream and God is going to lead them out of Egypt and he starts that in Exodus the first chapter through the 12th chapter and these chapters they're put into bondage in Exodus the first chapter and then there are 10 plagues that come and the last plague that comes upon Israel is in the 12th chapter of Exodus what is the last plague? Huh? Death of the firstborn. Death of the firstborn. Death. And then immediately in the 13th chapter, they're headed out into the wilderness because this softens Pharaoh's heart and then God hardens his heart again. And that 14th chapter, he chases them into the Red, the Red Sea. And when they get down in the bottom of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his armies, they are the most powerful army in the world at that time. Nobody could match up to Pharaoh's armies. God put them down in the bottom of the Red Sea. Now, most people don't understand 
that that wall of water wasn't like it was in the Ten Commandments. Pharaoh would have been a total moron to go on down between two walls of 200 feet of water, which looks like about what it was in the movie. Most of the writers say the water was split back by a mighty wind where you couldn't see the water. And since it's about 20 or more miles across that, God waited till Pharaoh got down in the bottom of the Red Sea. Then the Bible says in the 14th chapter, God reached down and pulled the wheels off of Pharaoh's chariot, said, now you drive against my people. And this is why the Bible says, in Romans the ninth chapter, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee when I destroy you. Pharaoh had no other pur- no other purpose for being. Then, then they go on to they're in the wilderness, and they go on to Mount Sinai. That is just. That's just 10 days or so. They come out of Egypt. Here's Egypt. They come across the Red Sea and go into the wilderness and go down to Mount Sinai. I should have a better picture than that. Let me see here. They get down to Sinai in that 18th chapter. And Moses goes up on the mountain in the 19th chapter. And he brings down the Ten Commandments in the 20th chapter. Then God begins to give them instructions on how to build the temple, actually build the tabernacle, which is going to have the same dimensions as this temple when Solomon, hundreds of years later, builds the temple. Let me see here. So, they're going through this well, I need a better picture than that. This would be this would be the Red Sea here. And if they came across here in this area, then it's going to be quite a distance across. So if he gets them down there, pulls the sea back, and they can't see it, that's why Pharaoh would go down into the water, because he couldn't see the walls of water. He wouldn't have driven his chariots down there, seeing that God was spreading these waters apart and take a chance on God letting those waters down on him. So they come down here. Here's the Sinai Peninsula. They come down here. They'll go to Sinai, right here, Sinai, which is an abbreviation for that. Then they leave there. In Numbers, the 10th chapter, they leave Sinai and they head up and they come up here to a place. Wait, I'm over here. I'm in the wrong place. That's Arabia. They come down here and they come up to a place just below Israel. I wish I had a bigger map there. See if I got one. Yeah, here's the Sinai Peninsula. They come down here to Sinai. They come up here to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And they don't want to go in. They go in and spy out the land. Military age for Israel at that time was 20 years old. 20 years old. And all of the soldiers, they have 20 year old and upward. They go in and spy out the land. 
they come back to Moses in the wilderness at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh. They come back to Kadesh. And they say, we can't go in there. Those are giants in the land. Those Anakims in the land of Anak... The Anakims are giant people. While we saw two of them carrying a stalk of grapes, it took two men, two giant men, to carry the stalk of grapes up on between two shoulders on a post. They are giants. They're huge men. We can't whip them. Yet God had destroyed Pharaoh and his armies when they crossed the Red Sea, the biggest army in the world at that time. So when they came back and said, we can't go in, God's, there's only two men that said, we're willing to go in there and conquer that land. Does anybody remember who they were? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and, and Joshua. They said, we'll go in and take that mountain of the Philistines. And the Philistines, that was the same thing if this is Egypt down here, and this is Israel, and this is a little section down here, that's the land of the Philistines, or the land of Anak, or we call it that today the Gaza Strip. Gaza Strip. When you see that on TV, pay attention. That's the Gaza Strip. That's where they lob missiles over there into Israel constantly attacking them. Well, when God says, now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to measure out a day for a year, a year for every day you spend in there spying it out, and I'm going to cause you to wander in this wilderness till I kill off everybody 20 years old and upward. I'm going to kill off all the soldiers that did not want to go in there. So stop and think of this. The oldest that a man, young man could be when they spend 40 years in the wilderness, they had to be at least 19 to survive, right? Since that's a year shy of 20. If you were going to survive the wilderness... The only way you could survive it, if you weren't rebellious against God, would be a 19-year-old. So really the oldest men that were in Israel when they crossed the river would be 59. Can you see that? That's as old as they could be. And a lot of them rebelled against God in the wilderness and they killed them off. Now, when he's down here at Sinai, he said, if you go after any other gods, he told Moses, you tell the children of Israel, if they go after other gods, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Babylonian lion, the Persian bear, the Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth that conquered all these others. And that was Rome. 
Well, does Israel go after other gods? They went after the gods that we call Christmas, Christ's Mass. That's what they went after. That's why everything that's in the Bible that's evil is Christmas under another name. They called it Baal, Grove. And when you look at Baal, or you look at Hercules in the McClinic and Strong, it will say the Baal of Tyre. Tyre was the nation right above Israel. And this is this is how Baal and the Grove came into Israel. It came in by Jezebel. Jezebel was the princess of Tyre, and her father was Ethbaal, which means with Baal. And he was the and she runs across Ahab. And he is the king of northern Israel. Northern Israel. And he somewhere, he's got a palace up here at Jezreel just over the border. Just over the border, right below Tyre and Sidon, which today is called Lebanon. And somehow they see each other at some party. She seduces him. She had to be good looking because Ahab had his choice of all the women in Israel because he was king. He was the king of northern Israel, not southern Judah. And as the king of northern Israel, he marries her, brings her gods down into southern Judah, into northern Israel, into northern Israel, and she pollutes by marrying Ahab, by marrying Ahab, somehow she pollutes all of Israel. Here's how she pollutes Israel. Now here's what the Bible says. Look over in the book of Micah. The fire worship that Israel and the tree worship that Israel was involved in, the tree worship was the grove, Asherah, Asherah means upright tree god. That's what it means. It was the tree goddess, and Venus was always worshipped in the form of a cone. Uh, Mr. Uh, in the uh, ancients, they said that they put a star on the top of the tree. Jeremiah 10 says they put her on a platform and decorated her with silver and gold. That is, and then you find over there in the 23rd chapter of 2 Kings, 2 Kings, the Bible speaks of the hangings for the grove. They had little things that hung from the grove, just like Christmas baubles. Just like so. Well, that was the grove. And those were kept outside the city in the high places. That's why we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wicked in high places. That was an illusion to the tree goddesses where they worshiped. That was Babylonians because Babylon, Babylon, Revelation 17 and 5, Babylon mothered all idolatry and Babylon was all idolatry 
That's why I keep saying to you, when all of these, when all of these, these people that weren't ruled by the beast world system, the beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the beast comes out of the bottomless pit or the place of no knowledge, bottomless pit, abusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Abusos is the word really wrongly translated bottomless pit. It's a stupid translation. Must have been some Catholic that did that during the translation since half the translators were Roman Catholic. Abusos comes from bathos, means a place of great knowledge and the alpha primitive negates the word. It means no knowledge. No one in the Mediterranean world had any knowledge of God except Israel. The place of no knowledge would be where the beast rises up out of the sea. Now, Israel, all the time they were a nation, was going after these idol gods. And it was Jezebel that brought them into Israel. Now look over here in Micah. And Micah will tell you exactly how all of this corruption came into Israel. All right. Micah was living somewhere in the neighborhood of 750, 750 B.C. 750. Put a question mark after that. We know that northern Israel was carried away in 722 BC. So this was before northern Israel was carried captive by the Assyrian rulers, uh, Sennacherib and Shalmaneser. These were Assyrians. And by Tiglath Pileser, what a name! Tiglath, T I G L A T H. P-E-L-I-S-E-R. -E -E Sometimes they called him Tilgath Pilneser. I don't want either one of those names on one of my kids. All right. Verse, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morristite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria, and Jerusalem, Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear all you people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you. This is not for them, but it's against them. The Lord from his holy temple, for behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down steep place. And this will all be for the transgressions of Jacob is all of this going to happen. When you see Jacob long after he's dead, Jacob is talking about all twelve tribes since he had the 12 sons of Israel. But Israel had been split into two nations uh, under 
Solomon when he went out, when he kept his seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, three hundred concubines, and the nation was split into southern Judah, and God numbered Benjamin with Judah, and the ten northern tribes were given to jo Joseph, given to Joseph through his second-born son Ephraim. So anytime the Bible speaks of Ephraim, just like Hosea talks about Ephraim, all through his book it's talking about northern Israel. Northern Israel had another title, Samaria. Samaria at one time was just a city in northern Israel, and they began to call all of northern Israel uh, by the title of Samaria. Now look here in this next verse. Samaria is northern Israel. Northern Israel is where, I've got it on this map over here, when the kingdom was split, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, but Jeroboam took the ten northern tribes north and began to rule them. This is northern Israel. This is southern Judah. And look what he says. Another name for northern Israel is Samaria. And who is it that's ruling Samaria at the time that, a, that Jezebel brings these gods of her father down into northern Israel? She brings them when she marries Ahab in the 16th chapter of 1 Kings. And look what it says right here. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of all Israel... What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not northern Israel, Samaria under Ahab? That's how, the, that's how they got corrupt. That's how Christmas came into Israel or Baal in the grove worship. Has Israel worshipped Baal before that all through the book of Judges? We call it Balaam. I am is plural, that means more than one God, it was Balaam and Ashtaroth. As soon as Joshua died, when they came in, when they came in to possess the land, and as soon as Joshua died in the third chapter of Judges, they went after Ashtaroth and Balaam. Just boom, they go after him. Why? I don't know. For the same reason that America is going after themselves, going after the gods of their cars and their houses and their stuff and their glory. Same reason. And somehow they justify themselves in doing it. He said, Is not the corruption of Jacob, which is all of Israel, Samaria, northern Israel? Yeah. And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? He's saying this all entered Israel through Samaria, through northern, northern Israel. Last week, I'm trying to do this thoroughly. You know how long it would take me to teach this thoroughly the rest of my life? And I still wouldn't get it. Now, Jezebel... She is going to die. She pronounces her own death. She signs her own death warrant. Let me show you how she did that. Go back over here to 
1 Kings 20. Now this is very important because she does her own. She may as well say, "Let me give me a paper and I'll uh, Jezebel to be put to death. Look here in 1 Samuel 20. First Not 1 first, first Kings 20. 1 Kings, the 20th chapter. No, not the 20th chapter, the 21st chapter. I don't know why I said 20. The 21st chapter. This is a familiar story to most people, but this has something specific in it that is going to put her to death, and God will make sure that she dies. It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, he was up there in Jezreel where the palace of Ahab was. That was in northern Israel, right close to the boundary line of what we call Lebanon or Tyre and Sidon. Naboth, a righteous man of God, loved the Lord, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria, northern Israel. This Naboth was real close to the, he had a plot, a plot of land real close to the king's palace. That was Ahab. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard. It was against God's law for them to give or sell the land. You can look at that at the very last couple of chapters of Numbers. He said, you can't give the land. The land belongs to me. Even when you marry, I want you to marry within your tribe because if you marry outside your tribe and there's no men to inherit the land, the land goes with the woman to the new guy she's married to. But when, he di but when she dies, the land has to go back to original tribe. That's it. That's a way to control greed, isn't it? That was the same thing as in the in the sabbatical year. Everything had to be forgiven and go back to the original owner. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. I want it just for my convenience. I don't care if you have to break the law of God, Naboth. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. I'll give you a better. That's so close to my palace. I wanted it for a garden of herbs. Or if it seemed good to thee, I'll give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbids it to me to do that. The law says I can't do that. He's a righteous man that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came unto him, unto his house, heavy and displeased because the word of which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. That's against the law. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and said, I can't have my way. <laughs> and I want that for God of herbs. Enter hell itself. 
And Jezebel, his wife came to him and said, Big boy, what's wrong with you? Well, I want my way, and he won't sell me his land. Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I'll give you another vineyard. That's better than that when Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Aren't you the governor of this kingdom? Can't you do what you want? I'll get it for you. Lying, thieving woman. The daughter of hell's mother. Boy, her daughter learned well, didn't she? Arise and eat bread. Let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. I'll do it. This woman had already brought in, in the 16th chapter of this book, Baal and the Grove Worship, or Christmas under another name. So she wrote letters to Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto elders and to the nobles that were in the city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Then she signs her death warrant with this next verse. And set two men, sons of Belial, another name for Satan, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou hast disblasphemed God and the king, and then carried him out, and stone him that he may die. And the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles, who were inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel sent unto them. And it was written under the letters which she had sent unto them. And they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high and lifted him up. And they came in, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blasphemed God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. He died because she was a lying woman. She got two witnesses. That's She knew that was the law of God. It takes two witnesses to condemn someone. There's only one problem with that. If you witness against somebody in Israel and it's a lie, you have to pay the penalty of what you have falsely witnessed against. What she's doing is signing her death warrant. Let's go over here to Numbers, the 35th chapter. Numbers 35. Numbers 35, verse 30. Whoso killeth the person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses but one witness shall not testify against any to cause him to die now look over at Deuteronomy 17 6 and 7 Deuteronomy 17 
6 and 7. This is God's law in Israel. Deuteronomy 16, 6 and 7. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. These witnesses had to be honorable men. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. And then verse 7 is what I believe Jesus wrote in the dirt in John seven fifty three through eight eleven concerning the woman taken in adultery. They bring this woman to Jesus and they say, she's committed adultery. They forgot one thing. You've got to bring the man with her and you have to put both of them to death. But if you testify to anything that's not true with witnesses, you've got to pay whatever penalty you put on them. That's why Jesus wrote in the dirt. I believe these are the words he wrote. Let's read it, the next verse. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. Jesus didn't say, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. He didn't say that. He said, let him that is without sin be the first to cast the stone. And if you're wrong, you have to die. And they all just dropped their hands, the Pharisees, and snuck away. Because they were doing it all wrong. The man was supposed to be brought with her. And afterwards, the hands of the people, so thou shalt put the evil away from among you. Now go over here to the 19th chapter. This indictment against her is just as sure she signed her death warrant by getting two false witnesses. Now, nobody has to know that. There's only one person has to know she got false witnesses. Who would that be? God. Does God forget that she lied about Naboth and got two witnesses? Here's what the Bible says. 19 and I'll get it in a minute just a second here 19 and verse 15 one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. They had to be honorable witnesses. And the way God ensures that, he makes it a law that they had to be honorable. If a false witness rises up, we don't need two witnesses in America. All you need is a drug dealer in prison that's a small-time drug dealer to give you one of the drug lords and he gets his sentence cut from 50 years down to two. That's all we have to have here. And he can be dishonest and dishonorable. People die all the time in prison because of dishonorable witnesses. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him, that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges, and shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition 
And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he thought to have done unto his brother. That's a law of God. Jezebel, if you get two witnesses against Naboth, you're going to die. And who's going to make sure that she dies? God. And she does. And put the evil away from you. Now, so it's been stated that Jezebel is going to die. Now, go back over here to 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. What she did to Israel was bring Christmas into Israel. Did you know everything in 1 Kings is about this right here? Even 2 Kings is talking about getting rid of Jezebel getting rid of Athaliah and all the sons of Ahab. Once Jehu comes on the scene, Jehu is commissioned by God. Jehu is a, is a general in the army and God tells Elisha after Elijah's dead, he tells Elisha, you go commission this man Jehu who is one of the generals, one of the leading military men in northern Israel. You tell him. He's going to, he's, you anoint him to be king. He's going to be king of northern Israel. Since Ahab had been the king, and Ahab was dead because God killed him, dead, God killed him in 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter. This is everything that Christmas is about. Did you know that? It's about everything Israel got involved in. Well, they have been bidden king, and God killed him in that 22nd chapter, 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter. I've told you the story. I'll give you a little bit of it as we kind of define some things here. Go to this 22nd chapter of 1 Kings. And Ahab's about to have, Elijah's about to have a showdown with Ahab. Elijah is God's prophet. Elijah doesn't die or care. He never does die. He's carried away in a fiery chariot in Second Kings, the second chapter. That's where Elijah's gone. And as he goes, Elisha, Elisha says, he says, Father, he calls Elijah father. He is his father in the truth. He says, give me a double portion as you leave. And the fiery chariot comes down and carries Elijah away and he throws his mantle upon Elisha. And Elisha prophesies in Israel 50 years. Now, we've already said that Jehu's name came on the scene over there 
the first place all this goes to it's all one story over in that 19th chapter Elijah is running away from Jezebel because he killed her 450 prophets of Baal and he wants to get out of there because she said I put the word out well I'll read you what she said why was he afraid of her? Huh? Why was he afraid? she was chasing him said I'm going to kill him but he was the prophet <laughs> he was a man too he was, he was frightened look over here in 1 Kings the 19th chapter and Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah, what Elijah had done, he killed all of those prophets of yours. And with, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword, and Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. You're going to be dead like my prophets of Baal. I'm coming after you. And he takes off running. He's scared. She's going to get him. She thinks. If you chase one of God's preachers and you want to put him down and stop him, I have so many enemies that want to kill me because I preach predestination and Christmas is pagan. She had the command of, she could tell Ahab what to do. He was scared to death of her. She was a woman that ruled the roost wherever she was. She could send her soldiers in by the thousands. And the Bible shows that he was frightened of her. She said, I'll have you dead this time tomorrow. Get the word out. Three and a half years with no rain, and then he goes out and kills all of her prophets. And she wants to blame him because she brings all these gods of Christmas into Israel. It's like something he did wrong. Verse 3, chapter 19. And when he saw that he arose and went for his life, he's running for his life. He's up there close to Jezreel in northern Israel. Here's what he does. He's up here. Jezreel is up here in northern Israel, right to the next to Phoenicia, which is Tyre and Sidon or Lebanon. And he takes off running. And he runs all the way through Israel down here into the Negev Desert. He's running from her. He's scared to death of, of the woman. He's running for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and, let his, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. I'm ready to die. That's the same thing Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 and 7, when all the men of Israel came after Jeremiah. He said, I've had enough. You didn't tell me it was going to be this hard, Lord. I quit, but I can't quit. Boy, you know how many times I've felt that way? I quit, but I can't. It's burning inside of me. 
Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. God said, I'm not through with you. I'll tell you when your time is up. Has anybody ever felt like that? Me. I've got something for you to do. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then the angel touched him and said, Arise, I've got some food for you. Arise and eat. God miraculously supplied food for Elijah. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water as his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is the same thing as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was at the bottom of that tongue that goes down to the right here. So he runs out of Israel and he comes down to Horeb. Same as Sinai, down here. He's down there to talk to God. And he's running from Jezebel, the wickedest woman in the Bible. She has a daughter that is out of hell itself, whose name is Athaliah. All right. He rose and did eat and so forth. He came, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of the host, for the children of Israel have forsaken my and have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they that seek my life take it away. And he had said that before, and God says, there's many in Israel that have followed me, and they were killed. Some of them were hidden by Jezebel. There's 7,000 in Israel that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. Did you know that, Elijah? And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. God says, I'm not talking to you with this wind. Most people want some great miracle. Like the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Give us a sign. Pull a rabbit out of a hat or something to show us your God. And after the wind and earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I'm not, don't be impressed by the power and might of miracles. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It's what's in this still small voice that Elijah has to pay attention to. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. Behold, there came a voice unto him and said, 
What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of the host, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They're going after Baal and the grove and all of these sun and tree gods. Christmas, if you will. Throw down thine altars and slay thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left, and they seek my life to take me, take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Here's my still small voice. Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. I want him to kill Ben-Hadad, the seem-to-be eternal enemy of Israel. He's going to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, Jehu is going to cure all of the Christmas, the sun and tree worship that is presently in Israel. It's not going to wipe it out completely because it rises up, rises its head later on down the line. Particularly with Manasseh in that 21st chapter of Second Kings. And Elisha, you've got to have somebody to take your place. I want you to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Melholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy stead. Here's the first mention of Jehu. He's going to be anointed to do two particular things. Jehu is going to be anointed to kill Jezebel. Not because she dresses up wearing makeup, like people think. Because she brought this son and tree worship into Israel, and she's controlling her husband, and he comes, he brings it into Israel, and builds temples for Baal in the grove in northern Israel, and the Levites say, we're out of here. And northern Israel becomes a Roman Catholic nation long before there's any Roman Catholicism. Becomes a Christmas nation. You know what? He wasn't afraid of her. What's that? Jehu wasn't afraid of her. No, Jehu wasn't afraid of him. And he's going to kill Jezebel and kill all the seed royal. The seed royal that can inherit the throne, the sons of Ahab. The sons of Ahab and their 70 sons. And Jehu says, I want you to go and cut the heads off of Jehu's sons and bring them to me in a basket. And they're brought to him. And his followers, Jehu's followers, go cut their heads off and bring them in and lay them out there before. They had to do that. They had to kill the sons. They would mount an army and come against Jehu. Now, I want to show you this. All of this in the Kings, books of the Kings, is about the Christ Mass story. Because it's about Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech and all those sun and tree gods. And the Bible says Babylon mothered all idolatry and was all founded on man's imagination. Let us make us a name. Once a man says, let us make us a name, name in, in Genesis 11 and 4, they said, let us make us a shem, an authority. 
And everything from then on was a parallel doctrine. They had a virgin mother, a virgin son. They had a virgin-born son. And they had all the same things we have in Christianity. That was what we've been talking about on Wednesday night. It was another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. What I want to do is take you over here and let you see Jehu in the 19th chapter of Second Kings. No, not excuse me. In the third chapter of Second Kings. Before I go there, let me show you something. In 1 Kings, the 21st chapter, here's the prophecy of 1 Kings, 21st chapter. Here's the prophecy against Ahab and against Jezebel. And this is exactly what's going to happen to them. In verse, this is the end of 1 Kings, and this is the end of Ahab's life. Look here in verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, We don't know what a Tishbite was. We think it was an Arab. God would call his prophet from anywhere. It could be an Arab. It could be a anyone. But he put truth in their heart. And if there's ever man that was great among the prophets, it was Elijah. And God, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise and go to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria, northern Israel. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to take possession of it. Now Naboth was killed in the previous chapter. Remember that? And she's got her... She's got her death warrant signed, according to that previous chapter, in that tenth verse of the previous chapter. And so it's time to set up her death execution date with God. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria, and behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Have you killed Naboth, righteous man of God, and also taken possession? Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs also lick thy blood, even thine. The same place up in Jezreel, they licked the blood of Naboth. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Are you kidding? He's calling Elijah his enemy, and he's the one that made him his enemy by having his wife, allowing his wife to bring all this Christmas into Israel. And he answered, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. And I will bring evil upon you, Ahab, and will take away thy posterity. That's all of his sons. That's, what, that's where he's going to commission Jehu to kill them all. 
and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall. You say, boy, that sounds crude. It's talking about every male, only males do that. So it won't splatter on themselves. He's saying every male in your family is going to die and you'll have no inheritance. Against the wall and him that shut up and left in Israel, I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Boy, when you see something like that, whew, Jeroboam, when he, when he left Rehoboam, because Rehoboam wouldn't take the advice of the young man, wouldn't take the advice of the old man that came before him, said, our father chastised, your father chastised with, with whips. Make, our, make, our, make this taxing easy on us. And his young friends came up and said, you tell him you're king of Israel. And you'll do what you want to do. Your father was Solomon. You'll do what you want. So Jeroboam takes the ten northern tribes and goes north. But when the Rehoboam starts to bring the armies to go north to attack Jeroboam, a prophet comes to Rehoboam. His name is Shemai. And he says, don't you attack Rehoboam. This is of God. So when Rehoboam doesn't attack Jeroboam, Jeroboam says, I'm afraid everybody will go back south and join Rehoboam. Sounds like they brothers because they got the same name, but same sounding name, but what they weren't. So Jeroboam says we got to do something to keep the families going south and joining up with Rehoboam. So he makes a golden calf. And he says, Behold the God that brought you out of Egypt. He did not say the golden calf was God. He just reduced Jehovah God to a golden calf. And from then on, the golden calf was like a title deed to northern Israel. You had to keep that. Had to keep the golden calf to keep people from going south and joining up with southern Judah. Out of Judah came the king and the inheritance came out of northern Israel. So, let's get back to where we were. What verse was I in? 22. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Every time God wants to express something, he'll say, like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And the house of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. You did that, Ahab. Marrying that woman, Hell's sister, Jezebel. And Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Your blood's going to be licked just like the dogs licked the blood of Naboth. And she's going to be eaten. And it's going to be Jehu that puts the pressure on her where she's going to be eaten by the dogs. The only thing is, when the dogs come to Jezebel and they eat her, they don't eat her feet. 
our hands, our head. Any evil, any head can, can think up that much evil. Any feet that can run to that mischief and hands that can work that evil, the dogs don't want it. Now, 22nd chapter, what is this all about? God, you know what this reminds me of? Luke, the 21st chapter. When right in that 20, look at Luke, the 23rd chapter. It reminds me of this. How much time do I have, Mike? Nine. I'm not going to get through this. Luke, the ninth chapter. All of this story through the kings is about this very thing. Luke, 21st chapter. I'll probably have to finish this up next week. 24th chapter. I'll get it right in a minute. Luke 21. Which chapter? 24, 21? 20, 21. <laughs> I'll get it in a minute. <laughs> now, when you read verse 23, you got to connect this with all that God's doing over there. And he's going to have Jehu kill Jezebel and kill all the sons of Ahab so there won't be anything anyone there that can raise up rise up and try to take revenge because of Ahab I want every bit of his seed dead God says it's Jay who's going to make sure of it and I want that hellish woman Athaliah the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab I want her to die and Jehu that's going to be your job and once he kills off the sons of the sons of Ahab, and once he kills off Athaliah, his work is done, and he dies. He had one job to do to do that. Jehu's a good thing. That's a good name for one of your kids. Now, what was I? Look here in the twenty-second chapter. This is where. You said twenty-one. Well, I'm I'm got you so many things. Twenty-one, twenty-three. <laughs> well, I just read that, and Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, "The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall." Huh? Oh, Luke. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Luke twenty-one. It reminds me of Luke twenty-one. I got so many things to say, I, they all get into my mind at once. All right, Luke 21, 20. Look at 22. Well, look at 21. 21, 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst depart out, and let not them that are in the countries come back into Israel during all these times when Jerusalem is encamped with armies. For these be the days of vengeance. It's God's revenge on his people for what they've done. These be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. 
for there should be great distress in the land of Israel is what he's talking about and wrath upon this people and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive in all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the Gentile rule of them is fulfilled and the rule over them actually finished up May 14th 1948 it actually was consumed in June 5th through 10th 1967 1967 that's when they drove out the Jordanians and they were carried away carried away they fell by the edge of the sword led away captain of all nations they were carried away in 586 B.C. Southern Judah, Northern Israel, 722 B.C. All because of this thing that men call Christmas today. It was fire and tree worship. And they were carried away. And what that is about is the end of time. Because he goes on to say in this chapter, they'll be led away captive in all nations. Jerusalem will be turned out of the Gentile until the times Gentile be fulfilled. And it goes on to talk about there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth of nations with distress of perplexity. Perplexity, aporia, means no answer, no way out. And it goes on to say when these things begin to come to pass, what things? Well, for one thing, Israel's rule over the Jews is done. They ruled the Jews. The Gentiles ruled them. During the days of Jesus, only southern Judah was back. Northern Israel wasn't back. They were the ten lost tribes. This is all about what they did while they were a nation. They involved in this sun and tree worship. It was an ancient thing that started in Babylon. Two thousand years before Jesus. It was the worship of the sun and the fire because they're in the cold of winter and they wanted to cheer themselves up so they go after other gods, a cheerful God to let them have their way. Now, if you go back over, well, I'm not going to have time to do this. Just remember, the dogs are going to lick the blood of Ahab the next chapter is where Jehoshaphat in the 22nd chapter comes to Ahab comes to Jehoshaphat and says Jehoshaphat you're a good he was a good man a wonderful man he read had the Bible read all throughout the land and Ahab comes to him and said you would would you go with me to fight Ben-Hadad Ben-Hadad was pagan and Ahab was a heathen himself and he's telling Jehoshaphat, this wonderful man of God, would you go fight this man with me? And Jehoshaphat says, we got to go to a, a prophet. So they went to Micaiah. And Micaiah says, go on into battle, you'll be okay. He said, no, I told you this guy had lied about me. He said, Micaiah, tell me the truth. What's going to happen in battle? Well, you go ahead. Israel will not have a king when you come back because you won't be coming back. And Ahab says to 
Jehovah's fat. I told you he wouldn't say nothing good about me. He never does. So he put him on bread and water. And Ahab goes into battle anyway. When he goes into battle, he's changed clothes. With, I don't know why Joe's fat would do this. He said, let's change clothes. You wear mine and I'll wear yours. Why would you want to dress up like Ahab knowing these people are out to get Ahab? But Jehoshaphat, being a nice guy, said, okay. And then an evil spirit enters to one of the priests of Baal. He says, you'll be all right, you'll win. So he goes in the battle, and he's headed across the plain in that 22nd chapter, verse 34, and a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote king, the king of Israel, Ahab, between the joints of the harness, Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand, carry me away from the host. I'm hit! That was God. He, the man drew a bow at a venture. A venture, the word venture, Tomim, means upright bow. It was the bow of God. If you can picture a man pulling a bow back, it will have to be the exact amount of pounds of pressure. You could you got so much pressure on a bow, and it's got to be going at a certain trajectory. And Ahab is riding across the plain. Goes. He's going. Do you realize that that chariot has to be going in at exact speed, fifteen point two oh two nine six one miles per hour. And that bow has to be exactly 40.6239 pounds of pressure so it can hit him between the harness. God killed Ahab. And look what he says happened to him. I'm hit. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against Syria and died at evening, and the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot and there was proclamation throughout and the host about going down of the sun and every man to his city and every man to his own country so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood that's what Elijah told. I wonder how all that happened. You think it was the sovereign will of God that it happened? Think predestination's true? And they washed his armor according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. I'm out of time. I'll come back and we'll finish. We'll get we'll get Athelite dead next week, okay? <laughs> she's gonna she's gotta go. That's Jezebel's daughter. She marries into southern Judah and takes her gods, her mother's gods with her. And she says, I want to rule southern Judah. So she has all the seed royal. After her son, her son Ahaziah dies, and after her husband Jehoram dies, she has all of the children die so she could have the throne. What a wicked woman. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Thank you for these words. Sometimes I don't know what to say, Lord. I'm just trying to say everything that's in my head, Lord. 
help us to continue this work, let it grow. Cause us to reach out to the world with this message. We'll praise you for everything. Lead us to elect and fight every battle. Lord, I can't fight these people. I'm too tired. Lord, help me. Help the church to follow you in truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We'll kill Rathalie next week. Kill Jezebel next week, too.